Hello and welcome to another round of New Time Religion with Dr. Andy Root and me, Derek Tronsgaard. First, some quick housekeeping before we start. First, Andy's new book, The End of Youth Ministry, is coming soon, March 17th, St. Patty's Day, 2020. You can pre-order the book now with the link found in our show notes, and if you order through that link, you'll get 40% off the cover price. I've read the book. It's incredible. I really think anybody in the field of youth ministry or even ministry in general should check it out. Get the book. It is wonderful. Check the show notes for the link to that. Second, we're really excited because today's episode features a listener question that was called into our hotline. So a huge thanks to Jason for giving us some food for thought for today's episode. If you want to join the party, you can give us a call at 651-800-1089. That's 651-800-1089 and leave your question. And if you give us a way to get in touch with you at the end of your message, we'll even send you a free copy of one of Andy's books as a thank you for listening. It's kind of like the public radio pledge gift, but you don't have to send us any money. How cool is that? Again, huge thanks to Jason for starting off this week's episode. So here is another round of New Time Religion, and here's Jason. Hi, my name is Jason Medina. I'm a youth director for Nativity Lutheran Church in Bend, Oregon, which is located in Central Oregon. I've got a few either comments or questions as I've really been jumping into your podcast as well as Andrew's uh, book, Faith Formation in a Secular Age, and have the second one on my shelf waiting to be devoured. Curious if you can comment on talking about the framework for imminence or the frame of imminence, but yet in my observation, I also see a desire for transcendence, maybe not necessarily in the Christian um, definition, but in our popular media, especially with our tentpole industries of Star Wars and DC and Marvel and Harry Potter. Um, it's almost as if we've created as a culture our own Roman or Greek mythology with these characters in a, in a visual storytelling way, not an oral one. Um, so there still is desire for transcendence, but it's looking a lot different. And I would love for you to comment on that. Okay, so we just had that great question from Jason, and it actually reminded me of a story. Have you ever been to a uh, comic book convention before? No. No. Okay, you're looking at me like, what? So, <laughs> so um, when I was going to seminary, actually, I did my internship out in Seattle. And in Seattle, they have one of the biggest comic book conventions in America. There's like the. No, so San Diego's the yeah. biggest one, and then there's one in New York, Chicago, but it's called the Emerald City Comic Con. Big okay. deal. Okay. So I'm a huge Marvel guy, and Stan Lee was going to be there. Yeah. This was before he died, and I was really yeah. excited. And actually, it'd be really cool if it was after he died. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been amazing. That totally would have changed what we've been talking about on the podcast, too. But um, in any case, uh, I wanted to go see Stan Lee. But in order to do that, you kind of have to get your spot in the room because there's like one conference room and then and then you got to be there because there's a huge line and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, I had to sit through the Star Trek part oh. of the presentation. Now I'm yeah. yeah, but yeah. I, I'm more of a Star Wars guy. Like Star Trek's fine, but whatever. So I had to sit there and the guest of the Star Trek panel was Leonard Nimoy who plays Mr. Spock, OG Star Trek guy. So 
What was really interesting is he came out and he didn't really want to talk about Star Trek at first. He had written like this poetry book and, you know, wanted to like talk about his poetry. And then he brought some of his artwork that he was doing and all this kind of stuff. And then he did his spiel and then they opened up the panel for questions. And so all these people and a lot of them had like Starfleet uniforms on, which I thought was pretty awesome. They ran over to the microphones and the thing that really struck me, though, was nobody asked him a question. Huh. Instead, what they did is they got up to the microphone and they said, and I still remember this to this day, one of the guys said, um, you know, Mr. Nimoy, uh, I served in Afghanistan during the war and it was really hard because I was away from my family and my friends and my kids. But the thing that got me through was watching the old DVDs of the Star Trek TV show and movies. And so I just want to thank you because Star Trek got me through that hard period in my life when I was overseas. And there's this other girl who got up and said, um, you know, I'm in remission from cancer and the chemotherapy was incredibly hard and it was this hard, hard thing in my life. But the thing that got me through was watching you and your work. So, and it was like story after story. There was one kid that talked about how his parents were getting divorced and on the weekends he'd go to his dad's apartment and they'd watch Star Trek together. I mean, just like powerful stories, right? And I was really struck when I was sitting there listening because to those people, and this isn't a bad thing because I would say this about other stuff for me, but that's a religion. Right. We've talked about meaning and belonging community, but it was just like writ large in that moment how this piece of pop culture, this narrative that's clearly fiction is playing this huge role in people's lives. So one of the things I think we can become confused about is I don't think in a Taylor kind of vein that to be in a disenchanted age means we don't long for something ecstatic that takes us out of ourselves. Um, so it even, even helps, I mean, what would the word for it be? Uh, minister to us really, or, or uh, help us through these difficult times like these Star Trek fans that, that, you know, that does have a kind of, a resonance towards transcendence. It does take us outside of ourselves. But when he's talking kind of transcendence, he does mean this sense of something metaphysical. So these people at this Star Trek convention, um, these people that Jason's referencing that listen, that Marvel becomes their narratives, that that frames their lives, that, that gives them meaning, that gives them narratives to make sense of their lives, that connects them to others um, and things like that. But my, But we are at somewhere different when we think... Um, about how Star Trek maybe functions metaphysically. There's, Do you mean like, like, because people saw Leonard Nimoy there, but they knew that he wasn't actually Spock, and there's that sort of like meta-awareness that it's all made up? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I'm or getting like, at that, and I'm getting at the sense that maybe some do, and this crosses that line, but most don't think there is a heaven for Star Trek fans and that one day you will live in the Star Trek universe right. or in the Marvel like universe. Like as a Star Wars fan, I know that when I die, I'm not going to disappear and become a Force ghost, basically. If you're driving home today yeah. and, and something catastrophic happens, either car drives the other way. And, and I have to like slam on the brakes. brakes or, yeah. or, or, you know, bridge almost falls down um, or something like that. You will not find yourself like saying, 
oh, Yoda, please come and rescue right. you. you you'll, you'll find yourself, even in a very secularized way, uttering a prayer like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And you may not be thinking of the triune God from the Nicene Creed or something, but um, that that becomes the articulation. I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess a study you could do, which you can't do, but to, to give this a good analogy, like when the, when we said when it was said in World War One that there are no there there are no atheists in foxholes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to be able to kind of interview people now in foxholes, uh, I don't think even the biggest Marvel fan would in those foxholes be saying I wish Tony Stark would come with his Iron Man armor. I've been praying us. every day yeah. that Tony Stark will be here. Do you see yeah. what I mean? I, like totally, so, yeah. So there there's a horizon. There, here. There's a certain level in just our being and our cultural understanding that, yeah. that those narratives just can't penetrate. They just can't penetrate because of the way disenchantment works, um, and the way that we just have built social structures. Like if you were really to believe that, and like I said, there are probably people who do, mm-hmm. but if you were really to believe that, people would think you're pretty crazy. You know right. what I mean? Like you, if you thought, no, really, I really believe that when I die, I will be a hologram or ghost or whatever with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker and Yoda. People would be like, what? You know, like the fact that you think that's meaningful, that that helped you through your divorce or your parents' divorce or helped you make it through times of depression, the fact that you you know, go to Disneyland every year to be part of the Star Wars stuff. You go to conventions. That's all good, and that gives your life meaning and narrative. But what's kind of despairing about it, or one of the one of the one of the hollow elements of being a modern person, is that narrative. Even that you hold so much identity in, even that you think is so important, even that you spend all sorts of money on, even though you think about it all the time, you know it doesn't transcend beyond the imminent reality. So it is something that can take you out of yourself, but it's not something actually, to kind of use Kierkegaardian language, that can get you to heaven. Um, that it, It's not something that can actually move the human agent, and, and I think most people would agree with this, cannot move the human agent out of time and into eternity. And I think what Jason's point is and your point is it has to be well taken that we are not the kind of human beings who can live without myth and without symbolism. Um, We just can't. We love it. We need it. We create meaning from it. But the question or potentially the malaise of our secular age is does that myth and symbolism have any referent to something real even beyond our own existence or even beyond the created realm or some kind of way that it takes the created realm into itself and transforms it. Can it or not? And we kind of are living in a time where we yearn, we need, we want stories that are pseudo-transcendent, myth that is deep and rich, but we also then have to bear the cold malaise that we really don't think Marvel and Star Wars saves. So let me tell you a story that I heard from a pastor recently that kind of that relates to this because sometimes I mean I think this is a, a point of like well really how disenchanted are we and so this pastor told a story about um, someone in his congregation being in their sanctuary like this is a, a more kind of liberal mainline congregation and somebody was in the congregation an older person in the congregation came to his office and like pastor pastor I saw Jesus in the sanctuary and said like Jesus was right there it's like, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus in the sanctuary. It's like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, I saw Jesus in the sanctuary. And then the person said, 
could it have really been Jesus? Was it really Jesus? And the pastor didn't know what to say. He was like, well, did it look like Jesus? <laughs> so maybe, maybe it was Jesus. But what's interesting is that the, the person looked at this pastor intently and was like, could it have been Jesus? And in some sense, and this is why I think what it means to live in this kind of secular age, to live in this kind of secular disenchanted age doesn't mean that you don't have something deep in your DNA and your consciousness and in, in your being that yearns for that, that wants that, that actually even thinks that's possible, but that you are bent through this framework, that you are formed in a certain way to want another answer. So he, this person, this this person in the church that said, I, I saw Jesus in the sanctuary, could it have been, really wants the pastor to say, well, probably what happened is that it was the janitor. <laughs> it was the janitor. Uh, you know, it's it's very common for people to have kind of psychological transference and see things after they've. We should get our carbon monoxide detectors yes, checked. And, like. and, and yeah, and, and are you you're, maybe you're prone to seizures? Like they want some kind of natural material answer for that. Yeah. Um, and that and that 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 doesn't mean that that this person actually. I think the way this pastor responded was perfect. Like. Did it look like Jesus? Yeah. And so it left them in the possibility, the mystery, like maybe it was Jesus. So it, people don't come to us and just like, they don't believe any of that. But they also want, first and foremost, want another answer. Like, tell me that it was a psychological issue or a neurological glitch. Um, but the fact that it could actually be a true metaphysical penetration of our physical realm Um they're they're open to believing it maybe, but the the what what we're wired for in this in this kind of imminent frame is to first and foremost assume and for it to be more plausible for us to it be something else. As Christians, we believe that we have this narrative, this shared, I don't want to use the word mythology, but you know, you get what I'm saying at, that that does go to that next level, you know? Yeah. I, I, I believe that. That's basically why I do what I do. But That's then... Was that Jesus Christ is the real real. Jesus Not Christ is myth, the real real. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the problem is, if you tell your kids, okay, you should, you should go read the Gospel of Mark. It's a, just a wonderful story. But then they have Avengers Endgame available on Disney Plus. That's way more fun. Yeah. Way more interesting. Right. So so what do we do then as Christian leaders? Because you I guess you could go down the route where you're gonna say, Okay, well we're gonna make a Bible movie and we're gonna use like really no. Hollywood special effects and it just it just doesn't work. No. Or you can come up like in confirmation, you know, we have these these cartoons and I really, really like them. They're great for teaching, but it's not like the kids are clamoring to watch the cartoons no. when they're outside of church. So, so how do you present that story, that narrative, without making it just an issue of the medium that it's on? Well, I mean, this is an existential crisis for me, to be completely honest. Yeah, my twelve Because my 12-year-old, uh, Maisie, knows everything about Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Like, everything. And I often have, like, the parental existential crisis. Like, she knows nothing about the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's actually uninterested in the mythology of the Bible. And by mythology, I don't mean untrue. I mean the kind of universe, if you will, of the biblical text in dwelling in that universe. But she wants to dwell 
in the Harry Potter universe. So we, when we were in, in uh, Switzerland uh, two years ago, we did this long hike, this long family hike. And uh, on the way back, it was like a six-mile hike back. And Maisie, Owen, and I, just we just talked Stranger Things and Harry Potter. And I just kept on trying to connect it to the biblical story. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was like challenging on them on why it was more interesting. And the, and the fascinating thing is that Maisie could only make sense of the biblical text through the Harry Potter stuff. So we would talk about like the Gospel of Matthew. And she'd be like, that's like in Harry Potter when, you know. And, yeah. it, and in, at one level, it infuriated me. At another level, it becomes very kind of, uh, you know, uh, Mars Hillish in in Acts, where these become you have to kind of use. You the, mean Mars Hill, the historical place? Yes, not the, yes, the yeah. mega church no, no, with Mark Driscoll not, and all that. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Or, or Rob Bell, or I guess, Rob too. Bell. There's lots of Mars Hills out there. Not yeah. the not those Mars Hills, the historical place. Okay, sorry um, to interrupt. I didn't mean that. Uh, no, no. Um, you have to kind of. I think you kind of have to to dwell in these narratives and and then open them up with this. But so do you mean just just translate them into the modern vernacular? I think you kind of have to. Yeah. Um, in some ways, uh, you have to connect to that. But then the, the struggle becomes: How do you point to it being the real, real? Mm-hmm. You know. And the only way you can do that, really, and I guess this goes back to the storytelling: is you have to have, have people tell stories. So what this. Maybe what should have happened with this pastor who said he saw Jesus is to say, you have to tell a story in the church. And then allow that story to be open to being people like, yeah, see, Gus is really crazy. But maybe he's not. Maybe this, maybe this was the living Christ. So in some sense, you have to open up this phenomenon. If, if we really do believe that Jesus Christ is the real, real, and therefore God is the one who acts in history and speaks to human beings and is moving history towards some eschatological fulfillment, then we have to be brave enough to have those conversations. But I think as pastors, our identities usually isn't, aren't really drawn around setting up teeing up those kind of stories they're like well okay we could do that but i already have the service planned or we could do that but really really what's got my attention my anxiety is kind of what how to fill these program spaces or whatever um but fronting that narrative and then having the community wrestle with could it have been and what really is at stake if it was jesus showing up and why would jesus show up and so my I really believe, and I, and I said this in the past, in a pastor in a secular age. I believe there's a lot of people with a lot of stories like that, but they have no occasion to tell them, and those stories are really easy to doubt or to push away. Well, we live in a world that just doesn't want to hear them because it doesn't it, 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 compute with with our conception of reality. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And you need, and for those stories to be. I don't want to say believable as if it's a true-false thing, but for them to be the kind of thing that reverberate at a level that become part of our own identity and then therefore shape a community. They have to be told. And this is what is really true about kind of Reformation theology and and the Reformation movement, the Protestant movement, is that it is... It is word events. It is spoken events of encounter and of dwelling in the biblical text within them. I mean, this is to take this way too far. And I, you know, this this pastor, um, I don't know well, but um, who knows what he did? I don't know the whole story. But you could see how you could build a whole year around that. What would it mean to now have discernment groups if this is really true? Yeah. Um, What 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 if we read? The, did Bible studies, these three books of the Bible, and, and just brought Gus's experience to them? What if we looked at some saints, um, you know, St. Anthony or, or, um, or Francis, and, um, 
and what's their phenomenon next to Gus's phenomenon. You well, and, I mean? the, and the beautiful irony of that is even if Jesus didn't show up in the sanctuary, just the event of getting those people together and talking the stories, like Christ will show up. Right. And, and you'll and have other people irony who will say, well, you know, when I had cancer, yeah. um, my wife would pray for me and I'd feel this heat. You know what I mean? Like it, w- it will bring forth the other stories. And you think about doing youth ministry. Whatever youth ministry was just being in the room as people were really trying to discern, did Gus see Jesus in the sanctuary? Yeah. I mean, you would never forget that. Yeah. And you know something's really at stake. Because if we decide after a year that Jesus did really show up, how do we commemorate that? Now does this church have every October 21? St. Gus Day. It's St. Gus Day. <laughs> I mean, you could take this a little bit too far, but also not. I mean, what else is the church? Right. But these these communities that have encountered the living Christ. Yeah. Now, I think some listeners will be like, well, I haven't had a Gus experience happen in, in anyone in my church. How do you know? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you know? What this pastor was doing that was great is that his people could come to him and said, I think this just happened to me. Well, okay, and if I'm being really honest, there's probably a part of me as a pastor that doesn't want it to be because no. that is scary. Well, this is why I really do think this. I think it's really true that mainline particularly, but maybe evangelical too, pastors are more disenchanted than their people. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree be- with that. Because, because it's part of your vocational hazard, and you don't want to be one of those crazy people who believes all this crazy stuff and that you're going to put on a tinfoil hat— um, you don't want to be one of those. So you almost doubt these kind of metaphysical transcendent experiences more than your people. I, I really believe that's true in the main line. And, and it's easier because if it's disenchanted, then I'm the one calling the shots. Yes, you I, can, I can set the agenda. I can say we're having Bible study this day and this day we're preaching about this text. But like, God forbid, God's the one calling the shots. Then I got a problem because then all of a sudden I'm just holding on for dear life. I saw on Twitter today someone had posted a clip of Martin Luther King's mountaintop speech. And you probably know that, I think, and, and I might have the story wrong, but my understanding is that was the last speech he gave before he was assassinated. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about, you know, I've been on the mountaintop, I've seen the promised land, and what's haunting about that speech is he basically is tying himself to the Moses narrative where God brings Moses onto the mountain and shows him the promised land and then tells him, you're not going to see it, but your people will. And then MLK says that essentially like, you, you're going to see this. I probably won't, but I'm not afraid. You know, it's just this beautiful, beautiful moving speech in history. The only way that that's beautiful, though, is if you know the story. I shouldn't say the only way, but a big reason that that story is beautiful is because he's tied it into the scriptural narrative. Sure. Of Moses and all that. So if people don't know that story, how do you talk about how God is moving? Yeah. Do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Which, which is your, your your piece of like Christian education. That part and I know I'm bringing it practical here, but that's just the thing I wrestle with. Because yeah. I'm the same way. Like my kids have a story Bible. Sometimes I try to get them to read it at night and they're like, no, nah, we want to read the Pow Pow Fish or whatever other book we read. You know, like, like, there's just it, it, as as someone who works with kids in confirmation yeah, in yeah, Sunday yeah. school, it's just like hard 
to get people to care about that story. But I, I kind of feel like you have to get that story in order to talk about some of that other stuff. Yeah, but you can't get it in a way where you say, okay, I'm going to give you this story. I, I just don't think it works this way where, okay, you need to know this story so this this thing will make any sense to you. Yeah. I mean, that is true, right? But the, the, way, you, the way you get catechized into that and I think this is something that's really true about Catholicism that Protestantism has to deal with, is that it is through the testimony of the saints that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the way you would teach even the the Exodus story is almost to do what you just did. Like, I could see around my dinner table with my kids, and my kids are a little a little weird. I mean, Owen particularly is such a hardcore, like, Enneagram 5, that just information and knowledge, would he would soak it up. And that might not be your kids. But to say... Do you guys know about Martin Luther King Jr. and that the you know the last speech he gave before he was assassinated was this? And so what you're what you're basically doing. So MLK is the saint in that story. He's yes. the one. He's the one intercessing. He's and the one intercessing and bringing and, yeah. bringing this 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 biblical text to bear. Yeah. And so now it's not just getting my kids to know the biblical story. It's, it's getting, not, hey, I've created this flannel board and we're gonna like right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or there's a worksheet here for us to do. Um, it's. It's, it's allowing this saint to speak and to give his or her testimony in, in, this, in this moment. So I think we often are just thinking, like, how do we get the Bible into, into people's heads as opposed to saying, how do we allow people to use the Bible to interpret their lives? And that's what, what King is doing here. And so it's, it's, it's not dissimilar than the stories. To learn how to tell a story, you got to hear a lot of stories. To learn how to bring the biblical text to bear on your life, you have to watch other people bring the biblical text to bear on your life. And then you think, well, well, where do I do that? The whole tradition is essentially that, you know? And this is part of the problem in mainline Christianity is when we think we're smarter than the tradition or we think the tradition is corrupt and evil, um, we lose something significant because we lose these voices of others who have read the read their lives into the text and the text has read their lives. And... Um, yeah, and we forget that the tradition is not all right. The tradition does have some some blind spots, and the tradition has been used for some diabolical things. But the tradition is incredibly diverse. It's incredibly diverse. Um, and it is smarter than you. And so um, I think part of our responsibility as, as leaders is to to allow it to live by helping it, by inviting it to interpret our lives. New Time Religion is a podcast featuring Dr. Andrew Root, which is produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes and tell a friend or two about our show. You can find more of Andy's books on his website, andrewroot.org, and you can order them on Amazon. His most recent series focuses on Charles Taylor's work in the secular age, and his new book, The Pastor in a Secular Age, is out now. New Time Religion is a production of the Alter Guild Podcast Network, and you can check them out at alterguild.org for more great shows. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time for another round of New Time Religion.